I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align podcast. And when one of the old Zen masters went to his teacher and said, what is the way to liberation? Teacher said, who is restraining you? He said, no one. If so, why should you ask for liberation? See, it all bounces back to you. What do you want? Do you know what you want? Can you think it through? Say exactly what you want. And invariably, you'll get back to the place where you are. Because what you say you want is always the symptom, the expression of what you are now. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And today I am still here in Javier, Spain. I'm currently in a full squatting position in the nude, in the buff, uh, sitting by the pool here at my buddy's, my buddy's chalet up in the hills. And uh, super, super beautiful. Quite sunny. Finally getting a tan in this trip. That's uh, pretty cool. Uh, today I got to chat with Mr. Cliff Hodges. Cliff Hodges is a fascinating fella. He is a uh, outdoor specialist survival guide. Um, he's been featured in uh, all over the place. Outdoor Magazine, Popular Mechanics. He's got a TV show on National Geographic called Remote Survival. He is really smart. He graduated from MIT with, uh, what was it? Tau Beta Pi Eta Kappa Nu National Collegiate Scholar. <laughs> He's really smart. And uh, we got into specific techniques on how to live better in the outdoors, in the nature. I think a huge part of... Uh, What's breaking down in our society is the fact that we're just not outside enough. We're so content with being inside. It's like our, our culture is turning into, what is that? The, 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 you know, the, the chickens, they call them like free-range chickens. They're like, oh, we open the, the door every day at noon for two hours or whatever. But the chickens, they're scared of the light because they were raised inside the dark den pushed up against each other, crapping on each other, and, you know, they're, they're living this lifestyle, and it's all they know, and then when they're even exposed to a glimpse of going outside and getting some, some mother nature, they're scared of it, because they don't understand it yet, and so we get into that, <laughs> kind of get into that. Actually, really fascinating creations, if you think about people doing this you know, thousands of years ago with only rough stone tools and they're creating notching mechanisms where the weight of the deadfall is actually holding these sticks all together and there's bait placed in it somewhere such that when the animal goes for that bait, it kind of creates a domino effect and it releases all these notches that are holding the sticks and supporting the weight all at the same time and the weight drops. So, right. you know, we call it primitive technology because of how old it is, but it's intellectually, it's not really that primitive. It's pretty right. pretty fascinating stuff. No wonder we have such an easy time destroying our planet. People are, for generations, have been raised with right. uh, like zero connection to it. Right. So what, they don't even see why we're stakeholders in it. Been exploring uh, various movements from, uh, from Spain here, so. Did some flamenco class the other day. That was really interesting. I'm going to keep on doing that in over Granada to explore a little bit more of that. And then uh, tonight I'm heading out to check out, uh, it's called Moixaranga. It's human tower stacking. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before. Torres de Humanos. Um, in Barcelona, it's called Castellers. Essentially what it is, is these 
people stack themselves up. Like, I think the record is like 10 people high. And it is so completely amazing to watch this thing happen because they have this huge foundation of people, like huge, like hundreds of people that build this foundation. They all lock arms and uh, they, they all come together to form what is in the middle, a stack of humans. <laughs> And then eventually they have a, uh, you know, like the, the people get smaller and smaller as they go up. And uh, it is just really super, super fascinating. So I'm going to go explore that, learn about it, write about it, take photos about it. And uh, maybe do some video and such and learn how to stack some humans. Really excited about that. So I was talking to a guy yesterday or hanging out on the uh, out front of a restaurant on the beach. And uh, he has sunglasses, not sunglasses, sorry, eyeglasses, spectacles. And one of the things that he had mentioned was that my eyes surely will end up fatiguing and end up, I'm going to have to end up wearing spectacles as I get older. And I'm like, all right, well, I hope that's not the case. Um, but then I, I asked him if he'd ever experienced or uh, tested out, tried out any of like the, the exercises. You can do eye exercises because I think a big part of why we're losing our vision is we're just not exercising our eyeballs. We're not, we're not taking them through the full range of motion that they, they possess in looking up out into the distance, looking up into a tree, looking close right up in front of your face and then going out far. Right? It's like that, all that, it's a dance. The same way that we dance through our physical tissue and our body and our legs and our arms and such, we're doing the same thing in our eyeballs. We're dancing all that muscular tissue. And if you're able to take it through a full expressive range of motion, it stays young and healthy and happy. The same way that your body, the same way that your mind and everything else does. Anyway, so I asked him about that and uh, he said that he he heard a little bit about that, and but he said he just doesn't have have the time to take care of his eyes. <laughs> and that blows me away. That is the state of our society. And the guy was sweet. Like I really enjoyed. It. We we had a fantastic time. Uh, but it just blows me away that somehow our society has come to a point where our vision is less important than whatever it is that we got to do, checking our emails or whatever BS we have to do, that we don't have time in order to take our eyes through a full range of motion so that we can see the world without having spectacles on our face. <sighs> so just kind of curious if you guys have any thoughts on this how to get down to the bottom of how can we change the perceptions of individuals of what makes us want to move in the first place that's kind of a that's kind of a big question i have i've been studying about uh, ancient greeks and romans and such and how they they valued the physical form so you see all these naked sexy sexy dudes running around and uh, I'm not gay, by the way, <laughs> but I appreciate all human forms. So you see these, these, these naked dudes, statues of these fellas, and it's glorified. You know, the physical form is glorified. It's a huge part of their culture is, is cultivating their form, cultivating their movement. And then another really important thing about that is they didn't separate intellectuality. I don't think that's a word. Intellectualness, intellectuality. They didn't separate that with their physical form. It was one thing. You go to the gym and you talk about philosophy, right? You know, so it's like, that is what we needed to tap into is developing a foundation for our human form to build our business on top of that. Right? To build whatever it is that we want to build in our periphery, build it on top of your mind, build it on top of your physical form, develop the robustness of that foundation, and then from there we can build some serious crap. There was a really cool, uh, cool story, well it's not really a story, 
uh, just a, just a thing. There's a guy, a wrestler, famous wrestler called Milo of Croton. And uh, interesting thing was he was one of his main homeboys was Pythagoras, the guy that made the Pythagorean theorem. So he's they're hanging out. Milo's popping fools' heads off, and then he cruises back and drinks some wine with Pythagoras while Pythagoras is like breaking down angles. That's amazing. That's important. You know, I think that we, we've created this separation in our society between the smart people and the strong people. And uh, that's a real shame. There's a quote that I like that I'm, I'm gonna, surely going to mess it up here. Um, how's it go? If, if, our, if a culture separates its warriors from its intellects, then we're going to have wars fought by idiots and we're going to have our country run by cowards. Uh, that's not exactly, oh, oh, instead of intellects, it's scholars. So that's what, what I would like us to, to ponder upon for a little while. Um, now, cut to Alan Watts. <laughs> Buddhas, who are supposed to have attained everything, are invariably shown in some sort of meditation posture. Why should they meditate anymore? because that just happens to be the way that a Buddha sits when he sits. When he sits, he sits. When he walks, he walks. He's not going anywhere. He's just going for a walk. Because he digs. See, to dig, the word, very word means not merely to appreciate, but to penetrate. To go to the heart of the matter and to penetrate the moment. To get right to the root of the moment is nowhere else than the center of you, where you are. It's where you start this whole thing. So get, I mean, to get with yourself is to get at the moment where you begin all this questioning. Where does the question come from? Where does the desire spring from? Well, that's you. And that you is the point from which the whole universe is created. All right, back from Alan Watts. Alan Watts, by the way, is like, he's kind of like my, my, uh, he's like my sorcerer slash girlfriend. Um, I listen to him every night. He's great. Big fan of him. Um, interesting fact toyed about Europe and traveling and such, uh, that I learned yesterday was that the fall of the Roman Empire happened to have come around a similar time frame of when they started wearing pants instead of togas. That's a big deal. <laughs> I'm not saying that the Roman Empire fell because of the pants, but I am saying that your clothing is going to impact the way that you move and the way that you feel in your body. And if you want to feel as expansive and creative and yourself and unrestricted as, as possible, I would say wear some clothing that fits well and has full range of motion. If you can't squat in the pants that you're wearing right now, I would suggest that you squat down, bust the, the, the ass out, and then throw them away. If your pants restrict you from squatting through a full range of motion, it should be illegal to wear them. I think the president should pass a law that our culture needs to have full range of motion because it's going to reduce the healthcare cost. Things like like uh, bladder prolapses, where your organs start to fall out of your pelvic floor. Come on. So if you want your pelvis, your pelvic floor, to fall like the Roman Empire then I would suggest wearing some tight pants. But if you want to maintain an elastic, buoyant, fantastic, youthful pelvic floor, like we all do, um, I would say start wearing togas, or at least some elastic tight pants. You get jeans that have like a little bit of uh, whatever that material is. Um, I don't remember what the material is exactly. It's like 2% of the stretchy stuff. And you get full range of motion through those suckers. Um, music that I got for you today is Miss Rokia Traore. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. 
She is from Mali. I'm saying that with a Spanish accent. Spanish, Italian, something accent. Um, but she is amazing. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite songs that I'm sharing with you now. So uh, if you don't like it, uh, you don't like a piece of me. <laughs> um, enjoy. Akamunke, denyemonka mundima. Akamundi, denyemonka munkiye. Dianya mana waranya doma, moyeke la John le dimfa kamuke. of that song at the end of this podcast so just tune into the end if you enjoyed that song and you will get the whole jam and i'll have a link to that on aligntherapy.com that is the website a-l-i-g-n therapy.com on there i have hundreds of free videos on self-care and functional movement i have the self-care kit check that thing out uh, ball, band, foam roller, all that fits inside the foam roller. Then you get a course along with that on how to utilize that sucker to keep your tissue moving well, hydrated, functional, fantastic for as long as you, you use that little, that little mofo. Um, be sure to subscribe and share on iTunes, please. And thank you. I greatly appreciate that. If you are appreciating this show, I appreciate you appreciating it. Um, it's awesome. Uh, please share with your friends, share the world. I really think that what we're doing here is making a difference and has the potential to make a larger difference if we get that thing out there. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, utilize the Amazon portal and remember to smile. That's a really important thing as well. Uh, there's a quick, quick quote from Mr. Joseph Campbell that I've been, he's been kind of like another one of my girlfriends here along this trip. And uh, what it says is what you have to bring back is something that the world lacks, which is why you want to get it. And lacking it, the world does not know that it needs it. Right? So if we never had the thing, the meat that makes us go raw, no, we don't realize that we're missing it. So when we're walking around the world and we're seeing people hunched over in a defeated position and we're seeing people, you know, eating crappy processed food, we're seeing people not appreciate their relationships, we're seeing people not appreciate the work that goes into the success, right? Appreciating the journey, right? Instead, we're looking forward to whatever the thing is that we want and we're kind of just holding our eyes and waiting to arrive there. And uh, that's not okay. All right. <laughs> that was a lot of words. Here we go. Mr. Worker, 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 Cliff Hodges. Rip, rip. Align Podcast. Recording here. So, Cliff Hodges, thank you so much for coming on. I've been um, checking your stuff out, and it's so great getting to have somebody like yourself on because getting to do the research it's like super fun you know checking out videos of you like making fires and stuff like that so thanks so much for coming on the opportunity for me to to get to chat with you one of the things i wanted to start off with chatting about is i feel like there's this odd separation between 
us surviving in nature, you know, and us just being in nature. You know, it's like it shouldn't be that like when you're outside for a couple of days, it's like a survival thing. It should be that you're just living, you're yeah. existing, you know, you're doing what we're naturally supposed to do. You know, but we have this yeah. idea that if you're outside for more than seven hours, it's like all of a sudden it becomes survival mode. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. And that's kind of like one of the biggest things I try to work with my students and teach is that, you know, I just don't believe that we're the only animal on the planet that wasn't meant to take care of ourselves and survive in the wilderness. Like a deer doesn't ever walk out into the woods and freak out about where it's going to find water or food or where it's going to sleep that night. But for some reason, we as people, at least in the modern world, do. So I think a lot of it really learning about survival is really just learning about the way, you know, a lot about of our history and the way we used to live and that, you know, these skills are all part of our birthright. We just kind of have to remember how to do them all over again. Right. Yeah. I was just recently talking with a friend who works with wilderness outdoor programs for kids, like troubled youth, you know, and yeah. one of the, one of the, I was at this conference thing. And one of the questions that I had asked was, you know, it's interesting that we wait until children end up, you know, smoking crack or like doing something really horrible. And then it's right. like, Oh, we got to get them outside. We got to take them out of this environment. You know? And it's like, It'd be, it'd be really interesting to see what would happen if outdoor wilderness programs became more of a substantial part of just our development in general, you know? And yeah. I, I wonder, you know, go on. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was no. Just going to say, I, you know, it's, to me it is almost criminal that it's not part of some standard, you know, like common core stuff. Like why is learning about our planet and learning about the planet we live on, our natural ecosystems, not more ingrained in our traditional educational program because we're, you know, it's no wonder we have such an easy time destroying our planet. People are for generations have been raised with right. uh, like zero connection to it. Right. So what they don't even see why we're stakeholders in it. Totally. Well, that's like Buckminster Fuller. He had um, this saying or phrase. It was, it was like spaceship earth, I think is how he called it, you know, and looking at it, it's interesting. Yeah. And when you're, when you were sitting here, you know, here in my office, like Spaceship Earth, that's crazy. But then you look at a image of planet Earth floating around through space and doing its orbits. And, you know, and it's like, it really is. We are in this space bubble. You know, and we have a limited amount of resources. To a degree, we can recreate these resources and recycle it. But I think that's such a crucial thing to really get into what is the Earth creating from the ground. Yeah, you know, and we are totally all, all floating through space on this rock together, you know, and uh, I think I think we're, you know, the last century or so, we're the, really the first human beings to maybe fully have the opportunity to appreciate that with space travel and modern science, we're actually able to be on the outside looking in as opposed to just on this rock staring up, right. and I think it gives us even more of a sense of, you know, we're all we're all in this thing together, we're all on this one ball floating through outer space and right. this is really so far the only ball we found that's going to keep us alive right. <laughs> so i think i think i think it hopefully can be more eye-opening to people about just how important it is to protect what we have left right and so with that you know i'm curious there's a lot of people that almost have like some degree of judgment i think if your feet are a little dirty or if you like been outside it's like oh you're like a you're like a granola hippie whatever you climbed a tree today like that's weird you know i have stilettos and i have you know yeah. a six figure income you know this is who i am you know i'm curious the people that you work with do you go through like like daniel vitalis's rewilding you know do you do you go through like a process of that where people do you have people come out that are at first maybe like I don't know about this and like how's that transition with their perspective on life <laughs> yeah you know I mean we give I get people from all walks of life I do everything from leading executive retreats to kids from a local community center and like everything in between and and every group is a little different but they all are kind of victims of this modern society where they get out there and they look at nature as dirty and gross and dangerous and unsafe right. and uh yeah i mean but i also think there's something that's so innate and natural in it and it's part of like our lineage as people that even the biggest cynics when they come in it doesn't take that long it takes maybe some people less than a day but even at most a couple days for people to really let go of kind of a lot of those modern creature comforts and things that we think we have to surround ourselves with every day 
and there's just something so kind of like natural. I look this way because I'm looking out at redwood forest right now, and I'm just nice. thinking about it. Like it's what it kind of just what makes us human. We do. We eventually can strip down those walls and and be a little more just animals on right. this planet. Yeah, I know it's a big deal because you know it's something I talk about a lot. Is we, we've sterilized ourselves. We've sterilized you know our work. We've sterilized our hands. We've sterilized our food. You know we've put ourselves into this nice, neat, clean bubble that causes yeah. our body to not need to adapt to anything. You know our bodies are adaptation machines. We feed on adaptation. You know and when yeah. it doesn't need to go through that contraction and that expansion and that you know uh, that development. You know it's training your your white blood cells and creating antibodies and all that. It's like our bodies love that stuff, you know? So when you- Bodies love it, yeah. It's, it's so crucial. You're like eating a worm out of the ground with some dirt on it. It's like, ooh, that's gross. It's like, is it? Because I think Twinkies yeah. are significantly grosser. I think Twinkies are grosser. And you know, it's so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, people, it's so, it is very weird to me that people see the woods and that nature is dirty because I, I mean, I would eat anything I dropped on the ground in the woods day in and day out over something I dropped on the ground in- a Walmart or a hospital or anywhere where there's lots of people like people right. are way way grosser than nature so right. yeah I mean it's just something it's I think it's just something we've created to kind of be comfortable and then we got overzealous with it as, as technology and civilization continued to progress and advance it just kind of became a kind of became an obsession of insulating ourselves but I right. think I think there's been a back to nature movement in the last 10 years. I think, I think we are starting to see people realize just how much we're missing when we don't have that. Right. One of the things I was talking with um, Chris Ryan from Sex at Dawn about this, and he uses this, this analogy a lot with, you know, the word insulate or uh, in uh, Spanish, isolar is to isolate and to insulate. They have dual meanings. You know, yeah. and I think that that's something that we do with ourselves. You know, as we're insulating ourselves or we have central air, it's always, you know, 69 degrees, you know, and it's just like we're doing this fantastic job and we order off of Amazon and, you know, it's like, it's like instead of going out into the world and like actually getting our feet dirty and, you know, making the thing happen and what we end up doing through this insulation is isolating ourselves, you know, and when we cut ourselves off, you know, you put somebody in solitary confinement, like they become mutated. It's not human anymore. You know, and I think that that's something right. that we're doing with nature. Like nature is, that is the teat, you know, that is like mother, that is the life force. And the, the yeah. further that we get away from that, the more things start to get funny. And even like having this conversation, there's a high percentage of people who are like, you're a freaking hippie, you know, but it's like, yeah. then we look yeah. at obesity, we look <clears throat> at diabetes, we look at depression, we look at all of this stuff that's going, you know, rictoring. And it's like, what are we doing? What's the one thing we know we're doing? We know we're isolating ourselves from nature. We are. And I mean, and there's even now modern like scientific studies that have been done that show the difference in people's general attitude, their general like emotional state when, you know, and lack of stress when there's someone who regularly spends time out in nature and just how much this modern world without having a break, you know, allows us to insulate ourselves. And I think there's just some internal battery we have as people. Yeah as animals and we need that nature time and we're kind of realizing just how important it is nowadays and especially scientifically i mean complete total uh it's a total de-stressor to be able to spend time out in the woods right totally you know it's funny this like have you ever heard of japanese shinrin yoku or forest bathing before you know yeah it's 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 interesting i've mentioned this before but it's interesting it's like we've come up with a term for walking around in the woods you know it's like yeah. it's, it's so so funny they were like well you see it develops your natural killer cells which ends up fighting cancer and increasing your immune system to like you know we come up with all this scientific jargon for like what's happening it's like there's so much good. happening <laughs> yeah it's just playing good for you. it's just plain good you know, so i want to actually have some like actionable tips or whatever for people you know so one of the things and I think it was another interview or something I read or something like that. It was you had mentioned there was like the four pillars of survival or something along those yeah. lines. Do you have any kind of if you are for folks that maybe want to take a stab, you know, they're living in San Francisco and they want to take a stab at like living in the redwoods for a couple of days, like what what kind of what if, what does a person need to take with them? Like what's the what's the base level of getting outside? What's the prep? I you know, I mean, it depends on what level of comfort you want to have and how sort of primitive or modern you want to go. I mean, 
you need, I mean, all you need as a person to live on the planet is shelter, water, fire, and food. Right. And that could be in a primitive sense. We could be talking about one of our crazy survival immersion classes where you're living in a leaf forest debris shelter and foraging your own food. Or that could be in a modern sense. It could be backpacking. Your shelter is your sleeping bag in your tent. Right. Your food, you know, are the cliff bars or whatever other like trail food, trail mix, beef jerky you bring along with you. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we only need a, a few certain things in this world to be alive and be okay. And, and I promote getting out into nature, even though I'm a survival instructor, however you can, whether it is doing some sort of full survival thing with me or whether even it's just weekend camping and getting out a little more often. What about full survival living off twigs and berries? Garden of Eden style, like where, where do we? I see? think. I, well, first What's of all, our pack I, think, look like? I mean, here. Well, if you're really doing it, you don't have a pack. Good point. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it. I, I. The only reason I hesitate is because I'm not. I. I don't think anyone without any training should go do that. So I don't want to give tell people, you know, carry these four things out in the woods and you'll be fine. I think, unless you've grown up with significant wilderness experience, you should be taking some kind of survival class. Uh, before heading out whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, if, if we're going to talk about what's in my pack, yeah. I would say uh, a knife probably is number one. Um, usually I could find or create my own way to start fire out there, but if I wanted to just have a backup, I'd have some sort of lighter or matches um, and maybe a water purifier. All those things you can kind of do with all natural primitive methods, but if I wanted to go real bare bones, I would say method of fire, water purification, and a knife. Yeah. And if I have those three things, I'm doing pretty darn good on my own. So do you feel comfortable, would you feel perfectly fine going out into nature for six months and Christopher McDouglas in it or whatever his name was? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a funny question. A lot of places in this world, yes. I think there are there's a lot of machismo in the world of survival and primitive skills, and right. there are people who would tell you, you know, I could go anywhere on the planet and survive, and that's honestly, as someone who's been teaching and doing this for over a decade, that's not true. No one can do it anywhere. I mean, if, if you're dropped up at the top of a mountain in the Himalayas <laughs> naked, you're going to die. Um, <laughs> There, there, there are some environments that you can't just be dropped into and survive. There are a lot, um, right. but you got to remember, even in places where primitive peoples lived, those were cultures that slowly grew and developed around an environment, and they would spend, you know, all year long preparing and storing food to get ready for the winter right. and so on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can survive for months on end in a lot of places, and there's some places I, I think no one can. Can you take me through like the breakdown of how to catch a small, nimbly, bimbly critter like a chipmunk? Like is trap, do we, do we build a trap? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean for, you know, if you're looking for a food source, a protein source, when you're in a survival situation, I do recommend trapping. I think it's, you know, it's basically one of the earliest human innovations, right? It's like one of the first PCs. So it does work for you while you're doing other stuff. So you can set a bunch of traps and while you're working on your shelter or your fire or trying to find other food sources, you've got traps out there working for you. Right. Now, That's primitive tra trapping is not kind of as easy as some people think. You don't just set one trap and magically you have a rabbit right. in it the next day. It's a game of probabilities. I would be setting up probably 10 to 20 traps around a survival camp if I was looking for a food source and hoping maybe one of those 10 to 20 was working once every two or three days. So that's, that's what your probability is. It's not great, and it's all kind of about your placement and bait source. What is a, what's a trap look like? Trap looks like a couple of sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, primitive, primitive trap, you don't have, um, you know, it's not like a modern trap. You don't have some big sort of metal cage. You're generally working usually with either some sort of deadfall apparatus or a snaring apparatus. So deadfall means uh, the animal is hitting off some sort of bait source, which is making something heavy fall on the animal and kill it. Right. Or a snaring mechanism means they're hitting some sort of trigger, and it's basically creating a noose and choking the animal with a snare. So 
either one of these situations, you're talking about like arranging all natural materials. So setting up sticks in a manner that they have a hair trigger and they're supporting a super heavy weight that could fall and take that game for you. Right. So with the with the with the the smashing one, is it essentially you're balancing a big heavy rock with a with a precarious stick or something like that, and the animal in order to take it has to move the stick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, I think when you see some of them in person, they're actually really fascinating creations. If you think about people doing this, you know, thousands of years ago with only rough stone tools, and they're creating notching mechanisms where the weight of the deadfall is actually holding these sticks all together and there's bait placed in it somewhere such that when the animal goes for that bait it kind of creates a domino effect and it releases all these notches that are holding the sticks and supporting the weight all at the same time and the weight drops so right. you know we call it primitive technology because of how old it is but it's not. intellectually it's not really that primitive it's pretty right. pretty fascinating stuff well that's like you know with like jujitsu you know it's like when you if you really want to learn jujitsu just practice the most simple basic formations or you know movements over and over and over again you know get down to those right. fundamentals and get strong with that you know and that relates to dance that relates to freaking anything you do you know we get really excited about you know the new technology it's like i think that i mean your your background i mean you went to mit you got like a master's from mit and your bachelor's from mit and it's like your background you know it seems like you're probably pretty smart you know, and like this is the stuff that you're getting after. You know, I think as well, it relates, yeah. it relates to business as well. You know, it's like going out and setting up 20 traps, you know, and it's like you have that. That's like creating this compound interest, you know, like the potential sure. of putting all your marbles as one thing. Like if that fails, that could suck. I mean, you know, what <laughs> What in life isn't like that, right? I mean, right. you need to work really hard at things. You need to understand them conceptually and you need to throw out as many lines as possible to see what hits because you know it's a crazy world we live in man there's no sure bet so yeah i mean just like trapping is just like business is just like survival you know it's just like technology and innovation and so you got to try a lot of things to see what works right and that's why i think that it would be really important to bring wilderness programs into every kid's education you know because we get really wrapped up in learning abe lincoln's birthday and the declaration of independence like I don't think that nearly relates to my development as a problem solver and as a dynamic human being as setting, learning how to set up a snare. Absolutely. I mean, it's, <laughs> no. dude, it's such an amazing amount of critical thinking and it's something that, you know, something that so many people are lacking these days, you know, with, with such kind of a spoon fed instant gratification society right. that um, I always tell people, you know, all the things I love the most in life are things that were really, really hard for me. Right. I don't I don't find things in life that are super easy that I find really interesting. I mean, some of my favorite things in the world, one is is primitive survival skills, primitive bow hunting, but other things like surfing and guitar and calculus or whatever, you know, everything that I've found really rewarding and amazing and interesting about being a human right. were always things that challenged me. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if everyone thinks that way. I think at the core foundation, every human does think that way, you know, whether yeah. it's been clouded by other thoughts or, you know, artificial things that we think we think. I think the foundation of that, I don't, I couldn't imagine meeting a human being out there that would not be able to connect with that at some level. I'm sure they're out there. I'm going to get a bunch of emails saying like, nope, that's bullshit. Like, <laughs> I don't connect there. You know, but yeah. I, I think you're getting like scrubbing away all of those peripheral nonsensical layers, you know, and getting into the foundation. I think from there, you have a really good pyramid to start building on, you know, but yeah. we get to this point where it's like, I feel an extreme inadequacy in myself. Sometimes I get like overwhelmed almost with the fact that if I were in nature for four days, like I'll, I'll probably die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and most, <laughs> most, most people would, I wouldn't feel that bad about that, but, um, but you know, I mean, I think it's just kind of a, maybe it's just a wake up call and or like reminder to parents that our, our system doesn't do that. So that's, I mean, just as it probably has been for thousands of years, that's on you as a parent to, give your kids the experiences in life that aren't going to come from anywhere else that are really important. And so, you know, give your kids that time, that opportunity, get them outside because when they grow up with it, it's not weird and foreign. It's right. part of their natural environment. But yeah, if your kid grew up in the sea and you never took them camping and them outdoors once at all, it's going to make sense that they're going to be adult. It's scared 
you know, right. to death of that. Yeah, I think one of the foundations of, of being a comfortable human being is feeling safe. You know, and so that yeah. safety, it's for most people, it looks like, oh, well, I have, you know, my, my mortgage is paid up and my, you know, whatever it is like that. It's like, that is our safety. I think take another layer, go even to a deeper layer with that and say, my mortgage is paid up. My business is great. My relationships are fantastic. And if an asteroid hits my neighborhood, you know, and like, or money I'm, falls out, I'm, gonna be not, okay. I'm still okay. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a really, really deep, deep intrinsic something to that and a lot of people we have a lot of you know cognitive dissonance we have a lot of separation between like who we are you know at a deeper level and who we think we're trying to become you know i think there's definitely something something to that so i'm curious hypothermia you get cold you know you, you fall in like you know whatever an ice bath and it's freezing outside the sun's setting what do we what do we do <laughs> get warm. Right. <laughs> no, hypothermia, what do you do? I mean, you know, hypothermia is very difficult to treat by oneself. Hmm. Um, I mean, you can definitely start to recognize the early signs of it yourself and do everything you can to get warm, to get somewhere uh, that's safer, warmer, or drier than where you are, or to create a heat source, like start a fire. But once you get beyond the initial stages, when you start to get into like moderate onset hypothermia, I mean, some of the basic behaviors of it are sort of erratical or irrational behavior and uh, poor decision making, then in you know decreased motor skills. So like if you get if you get to the point where you're hitting moderate hypothermia, you you need someone there to save your life. Um, it's not something you're gonna you're gonna be able to take care of on your own, which is why recognizing the early stages of it are so important. So. Yeah, learning to build a snow shelter. If you're stuck out, let's say you're out skiing and you get lost and you need to stay in a snow shelter overnight or being able to start a fire by friction if you're out there and have no tools with you but you're in sort of a timber forest or anywhere with natural materials, being able to start a fire because preventing that initial onset is really usually the difference between life and death when it comes to cold injuries. So if you are by yourself, you get you trapped through some water, you got to get out, the very first thing you want to do is take your clothes off, roll around in snow, then build a fire, maybe, possibly? Guessing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my imaginary world. I know nothing about what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind I of some, of those, some of those things kind of were correct. <laughs> maybe not in that order. But, um, I mean, most of the time, if you can create a heat source, depending on the clothes you have on, a lot of the times, taking the clothes off will be good. I mean, if you have a fabric like cotton, where cotton is going to stay wet and stay cold, you want to get it off. But then you also have a, you know, know what you're wearing. You have wool on. Wool is an amazing fabric. It retains like 80% of its insulating ability even when wet. So something like wool or some polypropylene or, or, you know, sort of uh, kind of outdoor gear, tech gear might still work really well when wet. Just depends on what you're wearing. But then yeah, getting yourself dry and warm is the number one concern. So if you have a fire source, that's generally one of the best ways to do it because that's kind of kind of both be there in one. Um, and if you need a shelter, depending on the environment you're in, knowing what kind of shelter to build, depending on the environment you're in, is important. And so it looks like with building the um, was it like the bow drill fire? I think is the, the one. bow drill fire. Yeah, that looks really hard to to just randomly create maybe i'm i don't know it's like is that it's, something that people can do, do <laughs> is that a thing is yeah. that a thing yeah no it's a thing um <laughs> the bojo fire is an amazing thing it's actually it's your best bet for fire in that's it, kind of the most universal there are some other fire making techniques you know fire by friction techniques that are really good in specific environments but maybe not good in other ones whereas bow drill is like one of your most universal, efficient, excellent ways to start fire by friction. And I think all it really takes is a good teacher and a little practice. Um, if you were had never done it before and maybe only seen like a video of it once or in a movie and you tried to sit down and do a bojo fire, it, probably 99 times out of 100 you'd fail. But if you even took, I mean not trying to sell myself, but even took like a one hour class with me on fire, right. you'd have, I mean, just exponentially better chances of creating a fire on your own just being able to see 
someone who knows it really well teach it just once. Do you guys do online classes at all, or do you got to be in Santa Cruz to make it happen, or where where do people find you? Got to be. You got to be. You got to be in California to make it happen, um, or you can bring me to you as well. So the name of my business is Adventure Out. Um, we're an outdoor school and guide service. Uh, we do everything from beginner one day survival classes outside where you just learn the basics, shelter, water, fire, food, to more advanced stuff like multi-day immersion classes, uh, as well as like really advanced skills like stone tools, uh, native bow making, things like that. So um, yeah, you got to either come to us in California or we do do private programs kind of all over the country. We get hired to fly or travel places to offer programs in different locations. So um, yeah, you can check us out at adventureout.com or on my personal website at cliffhodges.com. Awesome, man. So I've done extensive uh, uh, Bear grills research, and so I, yes. feel, I feel prepared. You know, one of the things that I uh, – I don't actually feel prepared. One of the things that I saw recently just last night was this trick where he's like – he took like a gum wrapper – and then he connected each end of the, the positive negative end of a battery and then like yeah. the gum wrapper we'll catches fire. on fire. Is that, that le- means, is that legit? Can we do that? It, 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 it looks it's, amazing. It's legit, but if you're going to carry a battery and a gum wrapper, you might as well carry a lighter and some matches. That's kind of like That's my cool. feeling on that stuff. Like know how to do it without anything modern. Know how to do it with sticks and rocks. If you can build a fire with sticks and rocks, then you don't need to carry that stuff around. So it's like, to me, I mean, I'm not knocking Bear Grylls. The guy legitimately has good skills and is obviously clearly successful and knows what he's doing. But if I'm going to carry a battery and gum, I might as well be carrying a lighter and have it be a better chance. So if you want to learn skills, I learn skills that don't involve having to carry something with you. Right. So that would be more maybe like it would definitely be like a sweet parlor trick even in town. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great way to meet chicks. No. I don't know if it's like. Exactly. I don't know if it's like a really trust and survival skill, but it'll totally impress people. Yeah. So one of the things that I harp on a lot because I, you know, I do movement is is uh, something I say a lot is is that nature moves us perfectly, you know. So it's yeah. like we have adapted to this human zoo that is, you know, the cities that we live in, and it is a zoo. Like I'm sorry to break the news to anybody out there, we are all animals living in a zoo. You know, we're yeah. dependent on this artificial environment, you know, and we're artificially changing the temperature and the chemicals and the food. It's like, it's a freaking zoo, you know? And so it's one of the things that I, I just think is so crucially important is recognizing that when you're moving through nature, you know, ideally maybe like get barefoot if you can, you know, but, and feel the texture of tree roots, feel the rocks, feel the pine needles, climb a tree, climb a mountain, get in that cold water, be immersed in all of that bacteria that's going in your eyes and your ears and your mouth. You know, it's so, so important. And then you'll never have a better poo in your life. Than yes. what, <laughs> Most importantly, most importantly, no, it's crazy because um, I do I do something with students a lot. Actually, a lot of nature schools do this. I'm not going to claim I invented it, but I do a lot of with a lot of students. A lot of times that they're having trouble with that immersion. Um, I do an activity called a blindfold drum stock and they put on blindfolds and I go, you know, 100, 200 yards off into the woods and just beat a drum um, and not only is the drum sound kind of meditative, but more importantly, it's giving them something to follow. They're supposed to come meet me at the drum. Nice. And they're moving through the woods. And if you stand there and watch them, the first like 20, 30 yards, they're like, ow, they're stepping on stuff and they're nice. running into twigs and getting hit by thorns. But they slowly but surely settle in and you get, you know, 100 yards or more into something like this. And you see people like, dodging under tree branches that they didn't even touch and know they were there and you see them you know placing their feet in a really soft kind of rolling manner to go over any tough spots and um it's really amazing when you when you force people sort of tactically into that situation they eventually kind of let go and really flow into it yeah man and you know i think that we have this disease of over intellect, you know, it's like, we're so wrapped up, you know, and you call it your frontal cortex or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like we get wrapped up in analyzing all of this stuff and the numbers and the documents. And I have, you know, this much in my bank account and the 401k and we get, and we lose track, you know, and you can see this with people, how they move around. You know, oftentimes we move around, we're very focused 
on everything. So we're focusing on the bricks in front of us. We're looking at the lines. We're focusing on that little point on somebody's nose and we're talking to them. You know, and what that ends up doing is it makes us move like crap. You know, by yeah. taking in the periphery, that's when you start to really activate your your animal brain, your movement brain. You know, right. I, I think that the, the little practices like this, just for people at home, it's like you don't need to survive on bubblegum wraps and, you know, uh, batteries. You know, it's like you can you can just play with this stuff in a park. Close your eyes, yeah. take your shoes off, walk around in the woods. Yep. You know, it, it's I like. I mean, it's, it sounds silly, but it's priceless. Right. It's. There's, I think there's sensory awareness and just like neural connections and stuff that are happening when you do that stuff, uh, when you get into nature that doesn't happen anywhere else. And it's part of the human experience and it's sad that so many people miss it, but it's kind of never too late to try to regain it either. Yeah. And that's my qualm with, with science, you know, and like the, the, you know, the peer reviewed studies, you know, it's recognized that the gonadotropin has increased and it's just like. Right. We have all this bullcrap of like the, the flashlights shining on the experience. It's what's happening. And we don't trust the experience until the flashlight illuminates that cortisol levels are decreased from X amount of time exposure to cold or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. the, 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 what's really we don't happening need, is so much bigger than that. We don't need those, <laughs> all these studies to prove it either. I mean, I think most people, if not all people, are really innately gifted with the ability to know what's good for them and what's not like when you're eating garbage, you know, you're eating garbage <laughs> when you're eating really good food. That's good for you. You know that. And right. when you're doing the same thing, when you're hunched over staring at a screen and right. your eyes are hurting and your back's hurting, you know, that's not good for you. And when you're out walking in the woods and breathing fresh air and you, you feel alive, like, you know, that's good for you. Like we, it's, we don't need a million and one studies to tell us what's good for us and what isn't. Have you ever drank your own piss? <laughs> no you never have no way dude that's so right. weird all right if you do that but i think interview, um interview over no <laughs> yeah mic. man no dude if you thought if you can't even imagine how many times people have asked me about drinking tea it's like the first thing that comes to people's mouth when you when they find out you teach survival and so i can give you the like sort of Science answer as well as my opinion answer. So people always say, hey, is it true in a survival situation? Can you drink your own pee? So the science answer is no. And the reason why you can't is that before, generally, before you would ever consider drinking your own pee, you're already so dehydrated that the salt content of your pee is really high. And it's not, it's like a net negative equation for you. Your body spends more, metabolizes more water internally than it gets out of processing it. Right. Now, if you were super, super well hydrated, drinking your pee would probably maybe be okay for you. Um, but like, why, who the, why would you want to drink your own pee, man? <laughs> so you got to try people, it. Yeah, it's don't knock people. It until you try it. Yeah, no, I don't think I need to try it. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, like, no other sources of water and have skills to purify water. I mean, you can. You can pee. You can create a solar still, and you can pee into it and distill that. water, distill water out of it, and that's cool. That's fine. You're not drinking the pee anymore. It's just the water coming out of it. So, what about learn some <laughs> learn some skills instead of drinking pee? That's what I always tell people. What about the piss bag magnifying glass that that uh, creates fire? Have you ever seen that? That's, that's oh more bell, yeah, bell stuff I've never done it with pee. I've just had a water in like a Ziploc bag. Right. Like big doing water filled bag, but yeah, I guess you could pee too. <laughs> if you wanted it to be pee, it could be pee. It could be any oh, any watery, liquidy. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I just fell down on my foam roller. I don't know if you oh, saw uh, that. Did you notice? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we're run we're all on time, but I'm curious. Have you ever tried to, you know, do like the I'm Cliff Hodges ego thing? I'm going to stay out for a long time and, you know, had any kind of close calls-ish or is it? Yeah, I mean, I no, I've practiced survival myself many times. I mean, I w never would have gotten into teaching it without experience. I think you should always know something very, very well before you teach it to others. And, um, I, you know, I had times where I was low on food or or low on water and things were difficult. I don't never had a really harrowing, harrowing experience, you know, no like no saber tooth tiger attacks, <laughs> nothing nothing super naughty like that. And I think part of it is just always preparing and knowing your skills before 
you go out there. You shouldn't, you know, nobody should be going out and pulling it into the wild and trying to live for six months with no training. Get some training first. Right. Something that I'll tinker with is trying to reduce the amount of supplies that I have when I go on a long hike or yeah. camping trip or something like that. So it's like, all right, I got a quart of water, you know, and, and that's it, you know, or, you know, whatever. I have like a rain jacket and I have some layers, but, you know, it's like trying to safely put myself in those circumstances where I know it's going to be pretty uncomfortable in, you know, a few yeah. hours. Well, I think that's good for us so we don't feel that like going out into the woods requires like a 60 pound backpack, you know, it, it I, I think it's a really good exercise is get rid of stuff, learn to move with less. And, and that's going to just kind of create a natural pathway of education for you anyways. And if you're doing that, eventually you're going to learn some survival skills and you're going to learn to go with even less and learn right. how to start fire with what's out there. Now you don't need your fire tools and learn how to purify water. Right. And you don't need to bring water with you. So, yeah, I mean, it's taking baby steps and staying safe the whole time. I, you know, I advocate going slowly. Right. Awesome, man. Well, how do people, so how do you, you mentioned already how people, how people contact you. What's your website and how do, because I really definitely, um, I'm planning on taking a course with you as soon as I can. I got a bunch cool. of stuff coming up, but yeah. um, I, it sounds awesome, man. Like how do, how do people get involved with that? Cool. Yeah. Two ways to reach me um, on the web. So my company is named Adventure Out. Uh, we're at adventureout.com. Um, we're one of the biggest guide services in California. We're based in the Bay Area. We do stuff all over the West Coast. So that's adventureout.com. You can see all of our survival classes, both taught by me and by a lot of my instructors that work for me. Um, and then you can also reach me directly at cliffhodges.com. That's my personal site. And I do a lot of private training and private kind of education engagements via that site. Cool. And then so for folks that are out in like Kenya and you know not in, near California, um, what are some good, which if you're in Kenya, you probably know, figured this stuff out already, but what are some good resources for people to get started? Like what's t some top books that you would give to somebody to learn? Oh yeah, that's tough. You know, I, I don't, I still don't think there's like a super great authoritative book on survival. Um, probably my favorite book on primitive skills that is a little more West Coast related would be um, Survival Skills in Native California by Paul Campbell. That's an amazing book. Cool. Um, and then uh, great book, uh, Last Child in the Woods, less so much on survival skills, but more just on a lot of what we've talked about, um, the importance of nature connection and for parents getting your children out into the into nature and into the wilderness. So Last right. Child in the Woods is a great book as well. Cool, man. I'm, uh, I'm on it. I'm on top of it. Um, cool. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I uh, look forward to getting to, to kick it with you in Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, bro. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast. Dear Nyamana Wara Nyadoma, Moyekela John Ledim Fat